The Better Business Analysis Institute presents the Better Business Analysis podcast with Kingsman Walsh. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Better Business Analysis Podcast with Benjamin Walsh. And this week, we are going to be talking about detailed level requirements analysis, sometimes just called detailed requirements. Uh, This is a very important phase uh, throughout the Better Business Analysis delivery journey. It's an area that's, I think, a little bit uh, misunderstood, especially um, with the development of Agile. there is a, a, I guess, a good way or a way that I talk about detailed level requirements analysis is that it is where the detailed functional or non-functional requirements of the solution uh, are talked about, uh, explained in a lot of detail, and it follows on from the high-level requirements base. And then um, generally, you could think about that in terms of epics uh, and them being broken down into user stories. Uh, and it's an interesting uh factor because it's it should be the transition here this should be done with the solution provider the uh, development team um, should be part of this journey so for me a great transition between a highly functional upfront project team and the development team or the delivery team is at this point so before you start the detailed requirements analysis phase and that is uh, so you've done your high level requirements you've really worked out what scope is you've got your chunky epics and you may have a first cut of user stories and so this is all you know done on journey maps and you've got your um, kind of story story mapping down to what you think is the general idea about what is required in order to deliver the solution and this is where you engage with the vendor who you're working with, the vendors, but there's multiple, uh, and the development team. So we're just going to call those people the uh, development team or the delivery team, as opposed to, you know, talking about all the different um, use cases or different types of um, delivery that we might have. Um, I will say that if you're going out to RFP, uh, then, or ten, some kind of tendering, then if you are not just getting information so rfi which stands for request for information uh if you're asking for a proposal it it is your responsibility as ba to do some level of detailed analysis um high level requirements aren't generally enough uh, to go out to rfp because there are and we'll talk about it in a minute uh some of those functions and some of those business rules are only captured once you start your detailed requirements uh, phase now that doesn't mean you need to spend six months in a room by yourself writing uh, these requirements this is very much um, just a layer down if you think about it in terms of processes you are getting down to that kind of process level three and you are talking about specific functions you want your user or your customer to experience Um, now they need to be flexible obviously um, how a customer um, is able to carry out those functions uh, could be quite different if the response was from a uh, what we call a COTS system um, off the shelf software where you have this commercial off the shelf, shelf software is what COTS stands for um, or a SaaS solution which is effectively a COTS system in the cloud um, now they might come back and say well 
if you want to do it exactly the way that you've specified in your detailed level requirements, then that could be a change. And and so there is a negotiation here. It's, it is still agile in terms of working out, you know, how many points, you know, more dollars uh, and how much effort it's going to take to meet the requirement. And then when you see the solution, so it's a two-way conversation and they say, well, you know, you've said here you want users to be able to um, add information on a customer uh, contact screen and they said well in our application we have that you know spread across two screens and you could say well okay the why here for that requirement um, is around being able to capture customer details and actually the fact that your solution does it over two screens we don't require you to customize that solution to have it on one we were just giving an idea about what what that uh, requirement was in terms of capturing information. And so these are the kind of conversations you have with vendors as you go through the RFP process. And an RFP process, if you've not been involved in tendering, I suggest that you do uh, learn about these different types of tenders, um, is very robust. And if you've been involved in an RFP process, either replying to or issuing an RFP process, it is, you know, it is not a small task. And there is a whole lot of uh, probity involved in that process where you have like um, a committee of people who are voting on responses and you have a way in which you grade responses and it all has to be fair and you can't have any conflicts of interest here. And you really can't, in some cases I've been involved in one where we couldn't have open uh, dialogue with other members uh, who were reviewing responses. And so um throughout that you might have a stage where you're getting vendors um uh, presenting back to you who are um you know uh, your your short list might present back to you as part of that process and you can have these conversations and then you generally um, at the end of the process you engage with one and then you can you know then you go into what i would consider a delivery phase uh what we call uh delivery and requirements management phase here at the better business analysis institute Right, so excluding this RFP, you know, vendor selection process, let's keep it really simple and pretend that we've got a, a delivery team, development team, which is in our organization or, you know, our partner that we use, and they run development really well. So they take their input as being high level requirements, first cut uh, user stories, a backlog effectively. Uh, we as a BA uh, work there. Um, we're on behalf of the the um, we are the customer, if you like. Uh, we've got a product owner who owns the outcome of this phase uh, for this product, and um, we we're facilitating in terms of maybe we're helping the pro, uh, product owner elaborate on requirements. Uh, so maybe we're doing some of the lower level uh, business rule uh, definitions and logic. And we have been the BA who has worked out that there is a business need for this. Let's just say it's a new product. Okay, and in the simple term, we'll talk about a web application. So we'll just talk about a very simple, maybe a mobile app. And we have a product owner who's come from the business who's going to own this product, uh, this product, which we are going to call a diagnosis card diagnosis uh, mobile app, which will diagnose faults for your car and not only will it do that through uh, through a device that you plug into your uh, car it will uh, tell you what's wrong with your car and recommend solutions and 
provide you with options in terms of what your uh, what garage you could take it to and how much this might cost so you effectively uh, taking away the control of what's wrong with your car to yourself as an individual and then you get choices around how you can um, get your car fixed so this is a you know a, a business that could exist and um, we have a product owner who's going to who's going to own this this app which we'll call um, car diagnosis we'll just call it car diagnosis very simple it's not a very sexy name and we are now they've been allocated and we've um, we've been involved with a, maybe a product manager and we've tested the market we believe there is a market and now we're going uh, now we have our high level requirements um, which have already been written we've already had the business case put together we're now moving to the detailed level requirements analysis now uh, detailed level requirements analysis is the process of analyzing and specifying the detailed like we said detailed functional and non-functional requirements of the solution it involves taking the high level requirements gathered during the requirements gathering phase and breaking them down into specifics and actionable requirements that can that can be used by the development team and designers to build the solution okay it involves uh, effectively six steps you want to refine requirements so the ba works with stakeholders and the product owner to uh, redefine and um, refine and get down to the lower level of the requirements to shoot uh, to ensure really that they are complete they're correct and they're testable so they really it, it does require um, going down to very much um, one step away for from the how step so we need to be able to specify the requirements such that a developer can read them and understand and their response being this is how I'm going to meet that requirement I understand okay cool you want um, a landing page where users can read uh, information around how the application works and they get to sign up on that page or download the app and they they can then visualize how that might work or you know relate it to other work they've done before and they can start to size that work and they do that through uh, story points most of the time uh, it's a sizing technique which allows them to kind of um, guesstimate how long things might take and I would say that that delivery cycle so the um, delivery and requirements management phase we call it uh, which is really a crossover with a, with a PO running that phase um, that's where scrum is a really good technique to use uh, in the agile world in terms of having developers using um, story points and Kanban and um, sprints and breaking other work so you have an idea about how, how long things are going to take and that you get one slice of the solution end-to-end -end in the first release um, and then you keep you know working on those features as they become a priority uh, ideally based on customer feedback um, but to start off with you do need uh, uh, when it comes to products and apps you do need to be able to somehow um, demonstrate the end-to-end -end business flow for a user or customer journey flow if you like um, and so that's generally what you focus is on your first um, sprint your first two weeks what what the BA does is one you know refine the requirements um, and generally this is uh, even if you have a very agile focused team with a product owner BAs you usually find a, a subservient BA to a, a PO doing this work because they're very good at doing that um, you need to decompose the requirements so the high level requirements are broken down into more details so not only do the epic uh, requirements which are your high level requirements get broken down into user stories 
user stories can be broken down into further user stories based on feedback you get from the development team. So if the user story is too high level and it can't be completed in one sprint, then it needs to be broken down into smaller work items if you like. Um, also, what I would find um, is a good idea is that we start to talk about acceptance criteria, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, we need to identify what we call the use cases. So this is a word that um, used to be associated with UML, uh, well, it still is, and waterfall, um, but it's still applicable no matter what environment you're working in. If you're working in an agile environment or a waterfall environment or a mix, because to be honest, no one works really in a pure waterfall environment anymore, you still need to know how to write use cases and scenarios. So use cases and scenarios are identify how the system will be used and it's used to validate the requirements so it's like right we've got this function how's a user going to actually use it logically and so your job as a ba is to explain logically how that's going to work not necessarily and, and even conceptually but it's not your job to specify the solution it's your job to say um, like a comic book strip and say okay well a user will um, we'll we'll view this landing page and they'll be able to navigate down to a sign up button and you do need to describe like a story which is where the word uh, use case came from so these scenarios comic books are a really good way of describing it a uh, good technique for doing this as opposed to stick figures and boxes which you can do which are, 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 are traditional use case diagrams um this is for you to see if there's any holes in the requirement flow. This is your job to make sure that, okay, oh, well, I guess if we're doing um, diagnosis, we need some business rules around connecting to the uh, device that connects into the car. How long do we wait until the uh, connection fails and we time out and say we can't find it? Because if we keep connecting through Wi-Fi, we're going to drain both the mobile app and the car itself. And so these, these pieces of logic are the BA's responsibility. And they do, I do find that when you work with some pure agile BAs, they forget that that's their job. And these business rules aren't generally uh, well uh, talked about in the agile world. But the, when we talk about uh, um, use cases and scenarios, these business rules um, aren't, you know, they don't necessarily fit into uh, a user story format. So you generally find that they live in Excel or they're referenced out. They can be uh, specified um, as acceptance criteria, which we'll talk about in a minute. Okay, so you've uh, helped refine the requirements, probably with the PO. You've uh, decomposed the requirements based on feedback from the development team that they need to be broken down a bit further and they're too chunky. You've kind of identified these use cases and scenarios. So kind of almost like, how will these functions be used? Not, not in a um, in a conceptual way. Not necessarily the end design or solution that's going to be there. And you can talk about it with the development team and the designers. Um, they can give you feedback. And then you need to analyze and specify the functional requirements. So the functional requirements are the detail around the inputs, outputs, processes, and user interfaces. So you need to think about it from all those point of views. The function could be with the system itself so in this case the mobile app or the device we plug into the car so the our the user's interface with those so we need to i don't know uh, plug the device into the car we need to be able to download the app we need to log in you know all those kind of interfaces if you like like web page uh, interfaces 
then we need to think about the processes that need to happen so they're not uh, like I said the connection process to the device from our mobile phone might connect to this device via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth and so that connection is between uh, two devices it's not between us as a human or the user it's between two devices and so those um, we call uh, the, both the systems and the humans uh, actors regardless of if they're human characters in this game and so to uh, outline how the mobile app will be talking to the device we plug into the car um, we still need to talk about that process regardless of the fact that if there's a user interface or not and some BAs get a little bit uh, caught up and don't actually uh, just thinking about the user interface here the user experience and behind the scenes your job is to um, outline through sequence diagrams maybe is a really good way of doing it or through these use case uh, diagrams to show that the systems need to talk to one another and how they might do that in theoretical terms and then work with the development team on how that might actually happen now you might hear words like apis and um, things like that and then as part of the functional requirements we also need to talk about the inputs and outputs to the process um, which are generally um, things that aren't necessarily to do with the application but things that need to be true so for example if the final step on our card diagnosis app was to email out the results uh, to our email address um, thinking about um, that output and defining how that might work is definitely part of the functional requirements so anything that's functional in the greatest sense of the word not just the user functional the functions of the system is functional requirements then we get down to non-functional requirements now non-functional requirements include things like uh, performance and security and usability actually at a high level and um, there's actually a defined list it's uh, you sometimes an architect can help very much with these things uh, usually people that are more uh, attuned with how systems work and their um, capabilities uh, can help define what is the modern standards for non-functionals uh, these are critically uh, important and are done notoriously badly by BAs uh, by the way um, so there is a, almost a checklist and you can go in New Zealand you can go to DIA uh, they actually have a cloud assessment uh, spreadsheet you can use and it has a whole lot of um, non-functional requirements you need to think about uh, one simple example if you don't know what a non-functional requirement is it might be the capacity um, that a website can handle so for example there was a common uh, situation in New Zealand where there were they were opening up the uh, tickets to be able to come into New Zealand through this kind of during COVID they had a certain amount of places uh, for MIQ and uh, the non-functional requirements for how they would handle web traffic to the website uh, wasn't really thought about so they had the functions working really well uh, so functionally it was working but when a non-functional requirement isn't met then sometimes that can affect users and in this case they just had too much traffic and they hadn't talked about capacity to manage that and of course the website crashed and they had to come all right come up with it to change the way the functions work in order to deal with that so non-functional requirements are extremely important uh, it is generally falls to the BA to do them uh, or at least uh, coordinate getting them done uh, but like I said there's pretty standard list these days and if you're working with a vendor um, especially in the security space there are some you know minimum standards legislation that you have to meet finally the last step so we've refined the requirements we've decomposed them we've identified those kind of scenarios and use cases and I would say business rules there we'll come back to what that means in a minute 
uh, you've specified your functional and you've specified your non-functional requirements. We then need to validate the requirements. So the requirements are validated with stakeholders. So product owner, uh, I would say, is a really good person who owns the requirements, makes the decisions around whether or not they should be in and out. And we, you know, we need to ensure that these requirements uh, will meet the needs or the objectives of the project and that they are feasible to implement. There can't be things that aren't feasible and, and just not possible. If, um, not, not uh, sorry, they could be very difficult things that our development team say they need more resources, resources for, um, which is fine. But then sometimes people just come up with ideas that just aren't feasible to implement. So the reason why that's important, and I've used kind of more older terminology here, very IRBA terminology, is that regardless of if you're working in an agile environment or um, a waterfall environment or a mix between them, these are the steps you have to carry out. Now, you might not, you might call your requirements, your final requirements, user stories, and I think you should. But just be aware that you need both functional and non-functional user stories. And you might well have, you need a way of capturing both um, how you're going to test these, and this is where acceptance criteria comes in, and you need to capture business rules. So logic that needs to exist in order to meet that user story. And that is your job. And it's actually some of the um, hardest parts of being a business analyst is working out the business rules that are required in order to make a system operate or meet legislation. So we'll start with the acceptance criteria. When you write a user story, you'll see that you've got a name of it and you use it right, you know, as a, I want to, so that I can. And then you've got a description field. And the description field can be used in multiple ways. For me personally, um, I don't follow the book here. I write, I use the description field to write a story. So use a story in the true sense of the word which explains the use cases and scenarios in which I want to be uh, uh, implemented. So I tell a story and about how the user interface uh, and into, uh, interfaces with the um, application and if it's a system, I talk about how the system will interface with other systems and so forth. And I tell it in a comic book style and I elaborate and allow the developer to read that and then that gives them a better sense of what's going on. Now, that is one way to do it. A lot of BAs, and actually I've seen this done extremely well uh, by, uh, by a BA hired working for me a few years ago, is the description field is used as the acceptance criteria. So the acceptance criteria, if you like, are what lead on to test cases. So you state what has to be true in order for this requirement to be met. So if we're talking about a landing page, for example, you could say the user can see the landing page. These are yes, no statements that can be, that need to be true. And there are ways in which the development team can check off their work. So I do both. Um, I do a description and then acceptance criteria actually break down as almost tasks or subtasks of the requirement. Now, so so you can do both. Um, and I, and I, I suggest that you um, at least do acceptance criteria. And if you do, uh, one technique, one good way of doing that um, is to use these kind of subtasks on say a Jira ticket. And so you, you, you state all the things that have to be true. So it's all the logical items that have to be true. And then when a developer has developed that, they can check that all those things there are true and therefore the user story is complete. And, and they have to complete all that for the user story to move across. So they can't partially 
do the work. If they get to a point when they're thinking about what has to be true, and the reason why it's good for BAs to specify or have a go at the acceptance criteria first, is that that might give them an idea that the, the user story in itself is too big to be completed in one um, sprint, and therefore it suggests that that user story should be broken down into many. Um, so so in, sometimes when we write these user stories, they can be too fluffy, and then the acceptance criteria will bring you down to earth and make them smart. And so if we were talking about this landing page, which has, I don't know, a, a login sign up um, button, and that's effectively, you know, screen that, and that's it, um, it would be quite easy. We would say the user can, can successfully navigate to the landing page. The user can see the blah, blah, blah. The user can um, click on the sign-in screen. The user can um, click on the so sign-up screen. Um, the sign-in form appears successfully the user can enter the blah 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 so you 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 know you're writing down effectively very high level test cases that then the tester will take and then they'll break that down into things like um you know that this field has to be uh, password protected or this has to be 100 uh, can only be 100 characters long and you as a BA you know could feed into that as they're doing their um as they're doing their test cases so this is kind of uh, detailed requirements that is detailed requirements and when we talk about like the size of fields and things like that, we start dipping into what I call business rules. Now you can imagine how big your um, user story would be if you started putting all these bits and pieces together. And this should be a conversation. So you might add notes as you go through, but if you did this up front, you'd never get to a development team. So you do this as you're working through the development team. And sometimes I actually literally have an Excel spreadsheet or something like that, or a Confluence page if I'm working in Jira when I might specify um, business rules. So what would be a good example of a business rule? Say, for example, we were logging in, as we've just talked about. There might be some checks around the fact that um, we know, we know there's a non-functional requirement, a security requirement around uh, multi-factor authentication, so two-factor. And that, you know, that's, if you don't know what that is, that is where your... Um, verifying you are who you are using uh, two devices so your email for example which might be your computer and then on your computer your main device and then your mobile phone uh, is the other device and so um, these days it's pretty common when you sign up somewhere it will send you a code on your mobile device which is another device uh, it verifies who you are because you you need to have both devices in order to be able to verify who you are uh, you get a code and you enter that in as well and so that 2FA process, there are rules for that. Like it, it runs in a certain way. And so by putting in, you know, how you want that 2FA experience to run, you could have different user stories. You would definitely have a user story around um, user needs. Uh, the system needs to be able to cater for, you know, 2FA and you write a user story specific around how, what their experience is. And you say the user does this and they enter this and then they get a text and they do a thing. Now, if there is any logic behind how that might work, um, it may be best that you just, you know, point out to a bit of a another diagram or a confluence page or an Excel spreadsheet, which just shows all the business rules that make that make that run. Uh, that's one example in its simplest terms. But when you think about things like banking, um, and you think about some really complicated processes, there are a lot of business rules. If this, then that. Think about if statements and uh, all the things that need to be true, and it will just 
it wouldn't really make sense to have that uh, detail all just clogged up in a user story for the developer to see. So they know they need to meet their requirement and they might go off to the specific business rule page to read um, the logic behind that. And that is where you find a lot of BAs will play as in that space. And, and it does cross over to architecture a little bit or systems analysis in terms of how the system might actually make this work. Uh, you usually find that those people who play in that space, the BAs who play in that space, don't actually write the code. They just simply uh, are outlining the pseudocode about how something can work. And there's, you know, there, there is definitely demand for that. And I would say that a lot of BAs might find that they're in that position, especially if they're in a complicated um, business role kind of legislation heavy environments. So we come back to the whole point of the detailed level requirements analysis phase. We are we are defining the next level of requirement detail. And we need to make it work with the development team and make it really, really clear about you know what needs to happen. And 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 as I, as I said up front, this could be done before um, engaging with the development team depending on uh, what type of delivery team you've got or otherwise it would be done in parallel with that so you might be fleshing out requirements you may be doing the detailed requirements analysis midway through the development so it happens in parallel so in a true agile environment you only elaborate the stories you're working on for that sprint so you, you as a BA may be going, okay, we're working on the next kind of user story or next item in the backlog. We need more detail. And then a true BA would work on to, it would work elaborating that particular user story at point in time, only when they need to. So you're not wasting your time doing detailed analysis across the application. And that's true, true agile. If we talk about a real example, we were talking about our, um, our car diagnosis tool, then um, we need to diagnose how that works into um, those kind of uh, epic level, uh, high level requirements, which before we start, in terms of how they work, which could just be a mobile app, could be a device plugged into the car, could be a website. And then as we're breaking down how that mobile app works, which could be screens and then business rules below that, um, it needs to be written in such a way in which a user can really understand. Do it in the simplest terms. I say that if you're it's, if it's completely if it's complex or you're trying to explain it to users like a product owner, then drawing a comic strip is a really good way of doing it. It sounds really silly, but visualizing those steps uh, makes sense. Definitely a process diagram. And the reason we use processes is that processes, um, if you like, requirements can drop out of processes. So if you if you really uh, think about the steps in which that story in which the user is going through to to log into this um, mobile this car diagnosis app, creating an account, you know, um, finding the device that's connected to their car, starting to read that diagnosis information, maybe making some changes, maybe you know sending that information back to their account on the website, um, seeing the list of mechanics and costs associated with their faults, and moving forward, all of that. Uh, are steps in a process and when you talk about the different levels of processes the highest level is car diagnosis kind of is the number one number two is the steps like around um, acquiring the mobile app and plugging it in and then receiving diagnosis information and contacting a mechanic and then at level three just before the procedure level you're breaking down those steps of how they're interfacing with the 
the theoretical system, which might be, you know, viewing, um, navigating to the login page, logging in with your account details, and then below that is the procedure level, which is now, um, now, which is only, should only be written once you've actually got the solution, because procedures involve how. So down at uh, process level four, which is um, procedure level, we then outline how that might happen. And a BA can, uh, effectively, that is what exactly the same as writing these detailed work, work lines. So you're um, thinking about how this might function in theory, like a procedure level, think about it like a Word document. And then the development team you're working with, and they're saying, well, wow, you know, have you thought about the fact that, it, you know, they could do this? And a designer's like, well, instead of having a web page, have you thought about this? And all of that um, should works together to help elaborate the kind of procedure, if you like, the detail level requirement that needs to exist uh, in order for the story or this end-to-end uh, -end process work. So I hope I have explained what detailed requirements analysis is all about. It is, it does either happen in parallel or lead into what we call delivery and requirements management. And delivery and requirements management is, like I said, it could be when you're working through that process where um, you're selecting a solution. So you've done detailed requirements, you've issued it out through tender, and you're now working with a vendor to select which solution is best and you're evaluating it. Or it could be you supporting the delivery team uh, and uh, requirements management lifecycle. Um, so that next step, so there is a transition here. There's a certain amount of work that needs to happen by a BA, if you like, or by someone who's really focused on the detail. And then there's the actual doing. So there's the the second part of it is the development team now owning the process and managing requirements. They kind of own the requirements at this point, the delivery team, including the product owner. And they're kind of asking for more detail or they're kind of uh, sending off requests. So now they kind of own the requirements. And your job as a BA is, you know, you've transitioned off to this development team. And there are BAs who will work in the development team as kind of pseudo uh, writers of requirements for the PO because the PO doesn't have those skills. But the true BA work is actually done generally before that. In the delivery and requirements management phase, that happens, if you like, after the detailed requirements phase, or these two, as I've said, these two things could happen in parallel if there's detail that needs to happen along the way. Uh, this is where the PO and BA worlds uh, can cross over. So either you need to decide here, if you're working in this environment, what roles you're playing. Uh, the most common is that the BA will become part of the development team and their job is simply just to elaborate and explain what was the point of the requirement uh, and to elaborate on the requirements. The other uh, role is when the product owner is outsourcing some of their responsibilities to the, the business analyst. So they're kind of a bit more hands back, they might not know about technology, and then letting the BA run some of those discussions on their behalf, and the BA is advising them. Um, and then there are other examples where you just don't have a PO, so the BA is running this with the uh, development team, running the whole process about just kind of make getting decisions from a from the um, product sponsor or the sponsor of the project, and is um, acting just as the PO would in a Scrum team. Um, so there's some examples about what happens next in the process, um, and that generally, you know, the, there are different models there. You usually find that some of the junior or intermediate BAs is a really good place for them to start and learn about technologies in this space. 
and you usually find that senior BAs uh, are, are not generally involved necessarily once the development cycle starts and once the detailed requirements are done. But there is a bridge, there is a there is a huge market for these for these types of BAs that are really worrying about the logic and the and the function and the how and working with architects on complicated solutions. Actually I'm working on a project now which involves me wearing that hat around data and how that might work. And I'm also doing at the same time enterprise and strategic analysis and working out, you know, a data strategy. So you know you usually find yourself in more than one place, especially if you're in a senior senior role. And it's a great place for a junior uh, BA or a intermediate BA, BA to play. Um, cool. So that's my spiel today about uh, detailed level requirements analysis. And I hope you've learned something today.